0: Thank you so much for being with us on this beautiful Lord's Day. And I hope that you are planning to join us again next week for our all-in-one Sunday. I hope that you will come bringing food aplenty, because we always expect many guests. I hope that you're thinking about who you can invite. Friends, family members, co-workers, uh, fellow students at school. Let's have a packed house next week for our All-in-One Sunday. That is a week from today, August the 14th. Our speaker that day is Matt Cook. He was uh, a missionary along with his family in Peru, but something happened in his life that caused them to go back home. They needed to come back stateside, Uh, and he's going to be sharing a little bit about what that was and his experience Uh, with that very difficult season, and how God was faithful through it all. And I know that his story is going to be very powerful. He's now living over in West Tennessee, and he works uh, at Freed Hardeman University in the Bible faculty. And you are not going to want to miss Matt Cook for our combined adult Bible class next Sunday at 9, and then for our worship hour at 10. I'm excited about that, and I hope that you're excited, and I hope that you are inviting many to join us. And then as T mentioned, our Brad Harib series kicked off past Wednesday, and Brad had an excellent message about marriage, and his lessons will continue to focus on the family. This week is about children, and so especially if you are in my boat and if you're raising young children, uh, this message come Wednesday night will be one that that you'll want to hear uh, and that you'll be blessed from hearing. But it'll be a good message for all of us because, as Kevin mentioned in his prayer we all have a responsibility in this church family for making sure our kids here are brought up in the training and the nurturing of the Lord and this family of believers. So be here for that. You'll be blessed by that. We said a big prayer this morning for all our students, uh, but there is one more little one that we want to pray for today. Uh, He wasn't prayed for earlier because he's just a little bit too young for school, and his name is Kieran Nicholas Barry, and he's here for the very first time today. And if he's in the house in this moment, you never know with little ones. He may have needed to go out for, for this reason. There he is. He's here. As I jabber on, she's already standing with little Kieran, and we're thankful for his presence. We're thankful for all our little ones, and we want to, at this time, offer up a very special prayer on Kieran's behalf. Would you go to God in prayer with me? Father, thank you for this wonderful day uh, that we can come together. We dedicate this day to you. this is your day. this is Resurrection Day. we celebrate Jesus today and we're thankful we can do so with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in this place. We pray a very special uh, blessing be upon Kieran. We're thankful that he is here with us. We're thankful that he's a part of this church family along with uh, his family, his parents and his older siblings. We pray that you would be with this family and bless them. Be with Nick and Lindsay as they seek to raise their children to, to know you. I pray that their children would grow to love you. I pray that they would never forget how much you love them. We pray that not only for Kieran and for the Barry children, but for all the children in this church family. Father, be with us as we seek to teach them more about you, as we seek to train them, and as we remind them day by day, Of how much you love them. May they love you. And may may they be faithful to you all the days of their life. We ask a blessing be upon all our kids. and We thank you uh, for your son Jesus. In whom we can have life and salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In the fall of 2010, there was a well-known American company. uh, Who made a decision that sparked immediate public outrage. There was a, uh, the Facebook group for the company was suddenly flooded with more than 2,000 comments, all criticizing this decision that the company made. Uh, One loyal customer wrote on the company's Facebook page, and I quote, This is the worst idea you have ever had. I will be sad to see this change take place. And if it does, I will no longer be a customer. There was a Twitter account, if you happen to know what that is, that was set up in protest that quickly collected 5,000 followers. There was even a website that was set up in opposition to the decision. This website went viral in a matter of days. The backlash over this decision reached such a fever pitch that the company was forced to reverse the original decision that, that they made, which actually cost them millions of dollars. And the president of the company came out with a statement which in part said, we've learned a lot in this process, and we are clear that we did not go about this in the right way. The company that I am referring to is the Gap clothing store, and the decision that I'm talking about was the decision to change their logo Their logo, if you are familiar with it, is capital letters in white on a dark blue Navy background, and they switched it one day without giving anybody notice, and the public went totally nuts. And in a week's time, they had to switch back. This was a moment of outrage over something very silly, over something absurd, and people got all up in arms over just the change of a logo. Keep that in mind and go with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. Would you grab a Bible? Would you somehow gain access to God's Word and go with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3? And we're going to talk about, as we begin, a moment of outrage in the ministry of Jesus. I'm going to start in verse 6 of Mark 3. Check this out. The gospel writer tells us that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, meaning Jesus. And the reason they got together was to talk about how to destroy Jesus. Now, this is striking for many reasons. One reason is the Pharisees and the Herodians didn't like each other all that much. They didn't really get along. The Pharisees were the religious authorities of the day in the Jewish religion and the Herodians were the civil authorities. They were the government authorities and these two groups clashed quite often, but they found a common cause uh, around which to come together and it was to take Jesus This brought them together. The desire, the common desire to destroy this man, this teacher, who's causing such a frenzy in their world, Jesus Christ. How can we destroy him? And this is the first mention of their desire to destroy Jesus. And this gives us a foreshadowing of how this story is going to end. This gives us a glimpse towards the end of the gospel, when Jesus will die as a result of their efforts on the cross. But it's taken a little while to get to this point, to get to this level of outrage that they're experiencing that caused them to get together with people that they didn't even like in order to destroy Jesus. Mark has been building to this moment of anger since the beginning of chapter 2. Back in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, some scribes get mad at Jesus for forgiving the sins of a paralytic man. Before healing him, they said only God has the power to forgive sins. And they're right. They don't know who Jesus is quite yet. And so they believe he's blaspheming by offering forgiveness of sins to a man with paralysis. And then, starting in verse 13 of chapter 2, the scribes of the Pharisees, Mark tells us, Get mad at Jesus because he's mixing it up with tax collectors and sinners. He's going into these people's houses and he is sharing table fellowship with them and they are irate over that. In verse 18, people question Jesus about his disciples not fasting like the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees. Jesus, why do your disciples not fast like the rest of these guys? And then in verses 23-28, through the Pharisees get mad because Jesus and his disciples are picking heads of grain, and it's the Sabbath day. So by the time we get to chapter 3, verses 1-6, through six, our text for today, the blood of Jesus' opponents, it is, it's simmering. And it's just about to boil over. They are very angry with Jesus. And what is it that finally sends them over the edge? What is the straw that finally breaks the camel's back? Well, we see in verse 5 that it's when Jesus heals a man. That's what does it. That's what sends them into a tailspin. That's what causes them to get up in arms and want to go out and seek to destroy this man. There is a man with, Scripture says, he has a withered hand. But what that probably means is he has paralysis in his hand and he is unable to use it. And Jesus heals this guy. And that's what sends them over the edge. That's what does it. And, and we think, you know, that is insane. That's an even more absurd reason to get mad than a logo change. Why in the world would that do it? Why would that be the catalyst towards them seeking a way to take Jesus down? Well, it's not just that he healed this man. It's when he healed this man. It was on the Sabbath. And you may be asking, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, we're soon going to see. I want us now to back up to verse 1 and look at this story in its entirety. Let's start at the beginning. Read with me, starting at chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue. This was his regular practice to go into the Jewish place of learning where he would teach. And a man was there with a withered hand, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What I noticed first about this passage is that they, the Pharisees, expected him to heal somebody. They knew that the probability was pretty great that Jesus was going to heal somebody because that's just what he did, he went about healing people. That's what he was known for. And so they expect him. They think it's very likely that when Jesus gets in here and he sees this guy with the paralyzed hand, that he's going to bring healing to him because that's what Jesus did. That's what he was known for. Is that what we're known for today? Now, I don't mean are we known for our healing abilities, where we have you know, the ability to heal people with physical diseases i mean are we as a people known for bringing about spiritual healing we should have a similar reputation in our community that jesus did in his when jesus went to a place people expected him to heal somebody do people expect when they interact with us when they come into our midst that they will find spiritual healing that's what we ought to be known for but oftentimes We are known for very different things. When people drive by this building and they look at it, what do they think? What is the perception? Do they think that's the church where they think they're the only ones going to heaven? As you well know, that is an old perception that people have. And it still lingers in our society in our community today. Do people look at us or... When they interact with us or when they see the building, do they think, that's the church where they don't have any music? I always take issue with that when I say, we have beautiful music. We make music with our voices to God. A lot of people, that is their first perception of this congregation and maybe of churches of Christ in general. These are not the things that we should be primarily known for. We should be a church known for bringing about spiritual healing and wholeness in the lives of people. A lot of people today think, what can we do as a church to attract more people? You know, we we get afraid and we get anxious that the church is losing its influence in society and people are leaving, and what can we possibly do to, to make church more interesting so that more people will want to come in? Well, let me just read this quote that I came across a few years ago that has made a real impact on me. Listen to what this author says. He says, we don't need more demographic or generational studies to figure out what people are looking for. We don't need to do another survey about what people are hungry for in our culture. Listen to what he says. In the midst of workplaces full of resentment and hostility, people are searching for love. Surrounded by anxiety and depression, people are looking for joy. Amid the violence and insanity of city streets and war-torn countries, people are searching high and low for peace. Faced with spouses and co-workers who lose their tempers at a moment's notice, people are looking for self-control. Amid rampant road rage, people are in desperate need of patience. Against the backdrop that is the harshness and cruelty of the evening news, people will inevitably be drawn to churches that exhibit gentleness and kindness in every aspect of their lives. Over against the gospel of pervasive pessimism about human nature and human communities, people will be drawn to churches that proclaim a gospel of transformation and holiness. The real question for the church is not whether we can get people to come to church in the first place. We don't seem to have a real problem with that. We always have a lot of first-time visitors. Maybe some congregations struggle with that, but I don't think we struggle with that. I'm all the time seeing new faces in our midst. And so the problem for us is not whether we can convince people to come in the first place. This is what he says. The real question is whether upon coming they find compelling reasons to return time and time again. And this is where we fall short. The back door is as busy as the front door. And people drift out as quickly as they come in. Now, they will find a compelling reason to return time and time again if we are focused on what Jesus was focused on, if we're focused on spiritual healing, if the priorities of Jesus become our priorities, if that's what we're known for doing. Jesus, when he enters the synagogue, they expect him to heal somebody. They think the chances are pretty high. That he's going to. And so the Pharisees here, they're not looking for this because they want it to happen. They're watching him like a hawk to see if he'll heal the man so that they can accuse him. Why? Well, it's the Sabbath. And according to their rules, their principles, let me give you a little history lesson here. Their principles passed down over many generations of rabbis taught them that only life-threatening injuries can be treated on the Sabbath. They made an exception. If life was at stake, then intervention could be made on somebody's behalf in order to save a life. But anything short of that, they did not believe was appropriate on the Sabbath. It would break the law, God's law, if you healed somebody or if you intervened in somebody in a medical way on the Sabbath if it wasn't life-threatening. And in their view, this guy who's in the synagogue and he has the paralyzed or the withered hand, that didn't meet the criteria. This was not an emergency case. It could wait. It's not life-threatening. Therefore, they believed healing this guy would be a violation of the work restriction on the Sabbath. God, all the way back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, you shall do no work on the Sabbath. It will be a day of rest. They believe if Jesus takes the initiative to heal this guy, he will be violating the law. God's law. And a Sabbath violation, well, according to the Old Testament, could result in the death penalty. And so that's why they're watching Jesus. They want to see if he's really going to do it. And if he does, they will then have a good reason to take him down, to accuse him, and maybe even put him to death. So a lot of tension is building in the passage here, Heading into verse 3. And let's see what happens when we get there. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And I see this in my mind's eye. I'm imagining Jesus beckoning the man with the paralyzed hand to come closer to him. And I can see the faces of the Pharisees getting redder and redder. They know what Jesus is about to do. And Jesus says, You, come here, come closer to me. They are getting fighting mad at this moment. And listen to what Jesus says. He brings this guy before them, and he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Jesus frames this issue differently than how they were used to thinking about it. He asks an either-or question here. He says, is it better to do good or to do harm? To bring life or to kill. On the Sabbath, he implies to them that neglecting to heal this man right away, that putting it off for a day or a week is the same as killing him. Jesus says this man has an urgent need. This is an emergency case. And the question for you is, are you going to do good or to do harm? And to do nothing is to do harm, is what Jesus says. Are you going to bring life or are you going to kill? And to do nothing is to kill. This is an urgent situation. This is an emergency. And they're silenced. They don't know what to say to that. Because they've never thought about it in that way. And you know what? Jesus treats our sin with the same level of urgency. If there's a barrier to spiritual healing in your life, to spiritual wholeness, it doesn't need to wait until the Sabbath is over. It doesn't need to wait till tomorrow or next week or next month. Jesus wants it removed right away. Jesus saw the urgency in this man's condition. Jesus sees the urgency in our condition. It cannot wait if there's something blocking us from sharing a relationship with God right now. Don't put it off. Jesus teaches us here that every decision we make in our lives either does good or or it does harm. It it either brings life or death. And we need to start thinking in these terms, these either or terms as we live. That every action, every word, every decision either leads us into greater life, into greater wholeness, into greater good, or it leads us down a path towards greater harm, towards bad. We need to begin thinking in these binary terms that everything we do is leading us along the straight and narrow or is opening up the path that is wide. Everything we do leads us towards greater spiritual wholeness or towards death. And it's the case when we're interacting with other people as well. In the lives of others, if we sense that there's something missing, if we're worried about the soul salvation of somebody that we care about, if we're concerned about the spiritual well-being of a family member or a friend, we don't need to wait to send that text message. We don't need to put off that phone call. We don't need to delay that conversation. We've got to get to them right away. Now, I don't mean throw caution or wisdom to the wind and approach somebody in a way that's going to turn them off uh, or that's going to, you know... Push them further away. I just mean, there's an urgency here. This is an emergency. It was an emergency to Jesus then. Our state, our spiritual state is urgent to him now. It ought to be to us as well. Jesus says here, there is no neutral ground with this man with a withered hand. If you want to put it off, then you are doing harm. To do nothing is to do harm. There's no in-between here. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Is spiritual sickness, is sin an emergency to us? There was a paper released by two leading economists late last year with some really disturbing news. It revealed that the mortality rate among many Americans uh, is on the rise. This is on, the demographic here is middle-aged white Americans. and We have some of those in our midst today. Basically, many Amer and this is shocking news, because in other, in other developed nations, this is not the case. The mortality rate is not on the rise, but it is here, and the reason is, many Americans are killing themselves, either directly or indirectly. Suicide is way up in our nation. So are deaths from drug poisoning and chronic liver disease, which comes about from excessive drinking. There is a darkness, there is a despair that is creeping across our land, and we don't have to look very far to see it. We don't have to turn on the evening news. We can just open up the Herald Chronicle. We can observe what's going on next door or across the street or with the kids at school or with the people that we work with to to see that there is a great darkness in our land. There is a sin sickness But sometimes we become so discouraged and so disturbed that we forget we've got the remedy to that. And it doesn't come from us, it comes from God. Through us, we are to be the messengers of that. The the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, where is our sense of urgency? Why do we not see this as an emergency situation? Why do we stand around like the Pharisees waiting for the next day to do something about it and, and looking to accuse somebody who tries to act on the behalf of people? Who are lost? I think about the lyrics of a, a powerful contemporary Christian song. There are many prodigal sons. On our city streets, they run searching for shelter. There are homes broken down. People's hopes have fallen to the ground from failures. This is an emergency. And yet often, we don't act like it. We just go along with business as usual and everything is laissez fair, and we continue to have really good events and activities sponsored by the church and yet we've taken our eye off the ball and we've forgotten that the reason that we're here is to seek and to save the lost and to reach those who are headed towards Eternal punishment and death. Jesus, when he asks the Pharisees this question, he leaves them dumbfounded. They are silenced by him. And then look in verse 5. He looked around at them with anger. This is something worth getting angry about. Not the change of a logo. This is anger that is justified. The anger that they have towards him for healing this guy is totally unjustified. But his anger towards them is. And if we look at ourselves and we see hard heart, that's the reason Jesus gets angry here. He looks at them with anger. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. And if we look inside of ourselves and we see that our hearts have grown cold and hard and they're not soft and and they don't break when we witness Uh, people being lost in their sins, that we ought to be upset with ourselves to the point that we want to change and we want to be different. We ought to be a little bit angry at ourselves and at the people who just go on as normal, as if we're not in an emergency situation in our world today. Jesus is angry that they have hard hearts. And He heals the man. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And what do the Pharisees do? We've already read this verse. They go out and immediately hold counsel with the Herodians in order to take him down. Their man-made rules have blinded them from seeing God's desire to do good and to bring life. They're all mixed up. They've forgotten what God's true will is, but God chose his true will through Jesus' actions here, by healing this man. That is what God's desire is, Sabbath or not. And they go out, and the irony is, they use the Sabbath in order to plot Jesus' demise, in order to try to destroy him, while Jesus uses the Sabbath to bring life to a man. The contrast couldn't be clearer. Jesus wants to bring spiritual life to us. And he views our spiritual health with great urgency. Is it an urgent situation for us when we think about our own lives, when we think about what's broken inside of us and needs fixing, but we say, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, it can wait. Or we think about somebody that we love who we know is not where they should be in their relationship with God, and yet we continue to delay it and put it off. I was talking to a young Christian man who I have a lot of respect for just this past week, and he hasn't been a Christian for very long. And you know, sometimes young Christians can teach us old Christians a lot. Would you agree with that? Sometimes those of us who've been in church a long time, and we've been baptized believers for a long time, we get a little apathetic. and We get a little complacent. And we, we lose our focus. And he was saying to me that This past year when he was at school, he was lying in bed one night and he thought, I need to get up and I need to go knock on doors to tell people about Jesus Christ. Because it's that urgent. What am I doing? How am I spending my life if not to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not up here to start a conversation about the effectiveness of certain evangelistic methods. The point is, do we feel a sense of urgency to tell people about Jesus and the life that they can experience through him, he said, "Where I go to church, there is in our classroom a sign with all of our upcoming activities, and it's we're having a party here, and we're doing a get together there, and that's all good stuff. We know the church ought to get together and gather together. We derive strength from that. But is that all we're doing? Is that the purpose of the church? No, it's not. And so this morning we're going to do. We're not going to wait. I'm talking about." This can't wait and this is an emergency and I would miss a great opportunity if I were to sit down right now and not ask you to do something along with me. I'm going to ask you to do two things. The first is I'm going to pause right here and I'm going to let you say a prayer to yourself. I'm going to say a prayer up here to myself. We're going to have a silent time of prayer and I want you to think about somebody in your life that you're concerned about. You're concerned about their soul. You're concerned about their spiritual health, their relationship with God. And there's no better place to start in your concern than with prayer to God on their behalf. So we're going to pause right here, right now. And we're going to pray to God for those people. Would you bow with me? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? And let's pray for the people that we're concerned about. Now I want you to do something else. I want you to get out your phone. Some of your phones are still on, by the way. You never turned them off, did you? I normally turn mine off, but I kept it on for this reason. If your phone's off, I want you to to get it out and turn it on. And I want you to think about one of those people that you just prayed for. And I want you to send them a text message. If you text. And if you don't have a phone with you, then you can do this after you get home. You don't have to text. You can write a note. You can pick up the phone and and call them up. And I don't know what you need to say to this person. It's going to be different for each of us. It's probably not that you need to say, I'm worried about your soul. Maybe that is just a little too forward. But maybe all you need to say is, hey, I'm thinking about you this morning. I love you. I'm concerned about you. Maybe it's somebody who ought to be here in our midst, but who's not here. And you can say to this person, I miss you. We miss you. We miss getting to see you more often. I'm going to do that up here, and I invite you to do that with me as well. Whatever you think you need to say to the person that you're concerned about today. Normally, I don't like to hear that sound, but this morning, I like to hear it. That means you're doing what you're supposed to do. Maybe this morning, you find yourself in the place of the Pharisees. And you look at your heart and it has grown cold and hard and you've lost your way and you no longer can clearly see the will of God, which is to bring life and health and wholeness and salvation to every living person on this earth. And maybe you need to come and confess that today, that you want your heart to be softened and that you want God to fix your eyes on what is most important again. Or maybe you find yourself in the place of the man with the withered hand. And you know that there's something blocking the way between you and your God. Something that needs healing and restoration. And you can come this morning and we can pray for you. Or if that something is you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ and submitted to him in baptism, you can do that today too. Or if you would like to pray with just a couple of our elders... They will be in the conference room right after our worship. You can take advantage of that time as well. And they'll be more than happy to pray with you. Do you need to come this morning? Do you need to find spiritual health and wholeness? Do you need to find salvation? This is your chance. Take advantage of it while we stand and sing.